are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Community Church. We're glad that you're here. We say this every week. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to do that by living out four unique values, values of practicing love with everyone always, giving more than what makes sense, chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. Certainly, if you have more questions about that, you can talk to me. Just uh, a couple announcements that I want to bring your way. Uh, there's a golf outing that's happening next Sunday at Green Valley. Uh, you don't have to be gifted at golf at all. In fact, most of you who've played in the past aren't, and I will just tell you that with confidence uh, because and I'll play, and that means it's the same for me. So it's $15. We'll take your money at the door there. Uh, it's going to start at 1 p.m. We'll have like hot dog and some potato salad. So invite your friends. You're welcome to. We have a sign-up at the information desk. We'll also have a link this week that you can register online. Second thing that I want to just bring to your attention is that we're partnering with the Parks Department, and we are going to have a few street fair vendors out here on September 22nd, and there's going to be a golf cart parade um, to kind of take place of the opening day parade that will start here in our parking lot and end here in our parking lot, and so you're welcome to be there. Uh, it's going to around 6.30, I think, is when the parade is going to start. And uh, we'll just have a lot of fun. We'll, we'll keep it safe. We'll help. We'll be there to help make sure that everybody's not stepping on each other. But we're looking forward to a good time. Uh, then lastly, just a personal announcement. Uh, many of you guys know this, but many of you don't. Nikki and I are expecting. Uh, we are 21 weeks pregnant. I'm not pregnant. She is pregnant. Uh, but we learned that we're, uh, we're having a little boy. And so I can't tell you how pumped I am about that. Uh, the girls and I have prayed about that for 14 weeks, pretty selfish, I know, uh, but the Lord is good no matter what. Uh, and I say all of that um, remembering uh, that, you know, this week one of our dear friends and, and a beloved family here uh, found out that they are not able to have children anymore. And so we praise the, the God who both gives and takes and, and just esteem his goodness and his character uh, in both good and hard times. And so uh, I, I've not been up here for a few weeks and, and I've been walking through in my own journey the, the book of James as we prepare to take a, a 12-week lesson or a uh, journey through this book. And, and I have been praying this week that after our time here together uh, that the Lord would change the desire of our hearts, my heart, your hearts, through the Spirit, uh, that we would desire to portray, portray and display the size of our Lord and His goodness and His holiness and His perfection and His abundance and His grace more accurately in our lives. That in the same way that you and I might go to the Grand Canyon and we would be swept away by the enormity of the size of the Grand Canyon, that we would feel small in its presence, that, that we, in light 
of who God is that we might become smaller. And in our smallness, that our faith might be one of action, of doing, of actually changing our lives. And so uh, my hope is that as we arrive here today, whether we're volunteering or just in this room, that, that we would allow all the distractions to leave our mind. And we would just focus on the Lord here for a moment. And so let's pray. Lord, we just come before you today. And uh, Lord, there are just some things that we need to confess in our lives as a people. Uh, Lord, that, that our desires are more often for things and people and not for you. Uh, Lord, that our phone is often more important than my prayer life. And God, that my kids and my job and my comfort are more of a priority in my life than you are. And that my pride is greater than our humility and our desires are concerned about our best life, not yours. And so, Lord, I just come before you today with a repentant heart uh, to say that, that I, and, and I know we speak for us in this room, that we've made this more about ourselves than it should be. And that today that you would use this time to help us remember your size and who you are that you would lead us to your grace, that you would drive us towards your heart, that you would equip and sustain us through your love. And we pray this boldly through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So today we start a series that is going to take us all the way to Christmas. And maybe there's some euphoria in somebody's heart that we just whispered the word Christmas. Um, I'll pretend like I don't hear it. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm just kidding. James is this book that often tops the list of people's most favorite book in the Bible. It's this short little letter that is packed full of wisdom, practical knowledge. And some of that wisdom is very uncomfortable at times and very, very convicting. The theme of James is that real faith works practically in one's life. That genuine faith works. I could say it this way. A faith that doesn't change who we are, what we do, and how we act isn't really faith. It's words. It's tradition. It's an intellectual knowledge that's never connected to our hearts. It's never rooted in our hearts. Our faith must work. And so we're going to explore this idea in depth over the next 12 weeks. Today, we're just going to take a, a simple introduction to the book of James. We're going to profile him, talk about his environments, and then I'm going to wonder out loud with you of some of the thoughts that the Lord's been kicking up in my life this week, and then I just have a challenge for us as we go forward. So what do we know about James? Maybe you have studied James in the past, but most scholars and theologians would say that James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus because they have a different father. Jesus is the Son of God through the Virgin Mary. And so James is the half-brother of Jesus. And it's believed to, to, to be that, that Jesus has six half-siblings. He has four brothers and at least two half-sisters. And what is very interesting about this crew is that they're unbelievers. They were unbelievers all the way up to Jesus' death and his resurrection. There's an interesting uh, interaction in the gospel of John in chapter 17 
that is confrontational between Jesus and his brothers. Jesus, his brothers come and they confront him around this idea uh, of where he's talking and where he's performing these miracles and signs and wonders. They're challenging the validity of the claims of Jesus and his works because he isn't doing them in a more public way in a bigger, in front of a bigger audience, a a bigger right audience. They have come to believe in their selfish heart that the Messiah would be one that would come and look to become famous and celebrated. And the fact that Jesus, here in the beginning of his ministry, is in an area called Galilee, which the Jews in Jerusalem looked down upon, that Jesus was speaking about these things and and performing signs and wonders in that area, to them said, well, you can't be the Messiah because you're not looking to get famous. You're not looking to perform these things in front of the right audience. And so that's just, that's our selfish human heart just projecting things. Like, we do that all the time. We think that if we have a talent or a gifting, then I, I just need to get in front of a bigger audience. I need to use this to be celebrated. But we know that the Son of God did not come to be celebrated. He came to fulfill and carry out the redemptive plan of God to bring humanity back to himself, not applause. And so John records in this chapter in John that not even his brothers believed in him. It's interesting. But then something happens because Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he records that after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appears to 500 people and then specifically Jesus appears to James, his brother. He appears to James, his brother, and then immediately after the ascension, we look back into Jerusalem and we, we find Jesus's family in a prayer room in Jerusalem. In Acts 1, verse 14, it says this, that all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Something changed, something changed the hearts and the minds of Jesus's family. And they too came to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And it seems that it only happened after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's fascinating. It's remarkable that you would consider that Jesus' brothers, once unbelievers, are now believers. And this is really cool because it, it really shows the beauty of the Old Testament and the New Testament as one story, because this is a hyperlink back to the story of Joseph. This is the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus, where Joseph has this dream, right? And his brothers, they actually sell him to slavery. But later, what happens in the story? Joseph's brothers come back gladly under Joseph's rule and reign. And so the Bible's full of these foreshadowing stories to Jesus, and Joseph is one of them. Could there be a more impactful piece of evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he was? That there actually was an empty tomb? That there actually was a resurrection? Then James, the brother of Jesus, once an unbeliever, writing this very letter. Consider, consider what you might have to do to convince your siblings, the ones who have experienced you most in this life, 
that you are somebody entirely different than what they believe you to be. That's a lot of work. And so this is tremendous evidence of who Jesus is. And if we look at the beginning of this letter, and this is all we're going to look at here in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1. So this is going to be a long study. James writes these incredible words as his brother. In James 1.1, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersion, greetings. The word servant comes from this Greek word doulos, and it means servant slave. And so James, the brother of Jesus, starts this letter off by saying that he is a servant, a slave of God, and his brother, Jesus Christ. This is tremendous. If you want faith, if you want evidence for faith, don't forget the amazing conversion of James and his otherworldly humility to call himself a slave to his brother. Tremendous. It would have been completely acceptable of James and for you and I to use his association with Jesus the Messiah to raise his status. He could have had a business card that simply said, James, brother of Jesus. And he would have been set. He could have done all sorts of things to extort his brother's position for his own gain. And the fact that the only time that we're reminded that James is Jesus' brother is by reading the commentary around this letter is proof in itself that something remarkable happens. The fact that there's not statues and memorials to James, the brother of Jesus, there's not churches named after him, is considerable proof for the divinity of Jesus and the gifting of the Holy Spirit because it's completely unnatural for somebody like James to not abuse his status and his position. And so history notes James as somebody who's so pious, somebody who's so devout to the teachings of Jesus that he came to be known as James the Just. That's a great nickname. James the Just, because his life exemplified the teachings of Jesus. The book of James is made up of 108 verses, so it's not that long. And in those 108 verses, there are 59 commands, things where James says, do this and don't do this. Obedience is everywhere in this book because genuine faith acts. It works. And James is so convinced of the divinity of his brother you can see it in his life. Faith and works, obedience went hand in hand for James. And so in 62 AD, James was murdered. He was stoned to death. A follower of Jesus. And this letter was written somewhere between 45 and 48 AD. And this is to believe to be the oldest letter in the New Testament. It predates the Gospels. The brother of Jesus letter is the first letter that was written predates not the gospel, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And after his conversion, James eventually becomes one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem, which is a tremendous distinction because in the 20 years after the ascension of Jesus, church life in Jerusalem was really hard. There was 
a famine that brought great starvation in the area. And the Jewish leadership in that time in Jerusalem was very, very, very upset with Christians. There was great persecution amongst the Christians in Jerusalem, so much so that James writes in this letter to the 12 tribes in dispersion, what has happened is because is, is that the persecution became so great that Christians left. They scattered. And James is writing to them in dispersion across the Mediterranean. He's writing this letter to them. There were scores of Christians that left during that time. And so we enter into this 2,000, close to 2,000-year-old letter in the year 2020 that for many of us has been the hardest, most difficult season of our lives. Some of us have lost jobs. We've lost income. We've lost our sanity in some ways. We are entrenched in a season where the things that are being asked of us, we don't like. Nobody likes wearing a mask. Nobody likes keeping a distance from one another. Nobody likes being locked in their homes. And all of these interruptions have brought mental, physical, and emotional anguish. Our normal rhythms have been interrupted and redefined. And they have created chaos in our life. The unknown has created fear and anxiety and worry. We think, what's next? Like, is this the end? Trust doesn't exist. Trust has been eroded in the public spheres. We don't know what to believe. And you put that alongside of our fear and our anxiety, and it has led many of us into deeper and deeper conspiracy. But what 2020 has done the most is what all hardships and struggle do. 2020 has revealed our character. It has revealed our hearts. This long and hard season has revealed who we are. Adversity always does that. And here's the thing. I think the Lord is doing it for our good. I think the Lord is doing it for our good. If we look at Psalm 25... Verses 8 through 10. It's written, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. And He teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. This verse speaks that the Lord doesn't disown sinners. He doesn't reject them. In fact, he instructs them. He instructs them. And there's one condition on that instruction. It's humility. That the Lord leads the humble in what is right. That he instructs the humble in his way. God delights not in the perfect, not in the proud, but those who have an accurate size of who God is and who they are an accurate size of who we are in front of a holy creator God. And so as I have been thinking on James for the last few weeks, I've started thinking about all that we've gone through here in 2020, all that we've walked through in this past few years, and I've been blown away, to be honest, blown away with how the Lord has been faithful to us, blown away by His goodness 
because he's faithful to our needs. You know, if you think about this, in 2020, we began the year by talking about a very hard-to-understand ancient book in our Old Testament called Job. And in Job, we learned that there was a complexity to God's rule and reign that will always be a mystery to us, but that within God's power and control are both good and evil. And sometimes we don't understand the reasons behind our suffering and our hardship. And we talked about that, and what happened? A global pandemic set forth in our lives that we have never seen before. And so we understood that this isn't news to God. Like, the pandemic isn't news to God. It is well within His knowledge. And then we, we looked at that size of God and His complexity, and we, we said, hey, we have to account for that accurately in our lives. We looked at Galatians 5, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And we said that the fruit is the evidence of God resting in our lives. That God in our lives would show themselves in the world by characteristics that are being formed in us and out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we have to account for the size of our God, and it has to be evident in our lives. And then recently we talked about being a people that were set apart. As we looked at 1 Peter 2, that Christians have a distinct philosophy on life, that we're set apart as God's kingdom people with a different flavor. We're set apart in our work, in our worship, in our, our rest, in our family, in our conflicts, in our words, in our victory. Not as a means of being distant from a world, but actually we're set apart to be a blessing and for the joy of the world around us that doesn't know Jesus. And so today we start a book that we earlier talked about that is about having faith that works faith that shows itself, that God is so big in our lives that it literally changes the way I do life. And as I've looked at this cycle of teaching, I was struck by the rhythm that's contained in it. It has a rhythm that declares, look how big that I am. Look how huge that I am. Let that impact the way that you live. Account for my size and let it change your heart. Let my fruit be evident in your life. Look at my kingdom. Look at my kingship. How much better is it than the one of this world? Let it change the philosophy of your life. Be set apart for my glory and for your joy. And as, I start, as we start James, I, just, I wonder what the Lord is doing. I wonder what the Lord is doing in my own life, and I wonder what He's doing in this world and in this church. I wonder what He's doing. Is this the gentle grace of our Father reminding us again that I'm too big to be this small in your lives, that I'm too abundant to be this sparse in your heart? Is this our faithful Father whispering consistently, to remind us to confess our pride, to deal with our hard-heartedness, to look at Him, to get your eyes off of yourselves and myself and get your eyes onto me. Are our ears not hearing it? Are our eyes not seeing His glory? Are our hearts not perceiving it? 
You know, there is an interesting evolution that's occurred amongst the idea of belief and conviction. As we have increasingly grown to be more digitized and globalized, as our interactions with one another move from formal to informal, where connection and friendship is far less vulnerable and far more edited, as our relationships move more cyber-based than they are physical in nature, what it seems to mean today is that belief and convictions have grown to be far more displayed by what we say and write and less by what we do. Less by what we do. So what that means today is this, is I confess or believe in something, I can say I have convictions in something, but it has zero effect on what I do. We can go to our friends and say, we can write on social media, hey, I'm for this, I believe in this, but somehow that belief puts no demand on us to participate or act on it just to merely say it. They're just words. And so hear me with all the gentleness I can muster in my heart. Our selfish, sinful hearts have made it possible to have beliefs and convictions that cost us nothing. They're just rhetoric. I don't have to sacrifice any of my comfort, any of my gifts, any of my talents, any of my time. I don't have to change who I am. I just need to post it or like it. That's what it means to believe in something today. That's it. And then I can do whatever pleases me. And then I can judge and demean those who disagree with me. That's what it means to believe today. It seems to be just a war of words. And what happens is we end up drifting to people who are kind of like us, but not fully because they're the loudest. The loudest person in their beliefs gets the cookie today. Today, as Christians, we are identified by the world to be people of faith, to have belief in Christ. We're identified by who we vote for, what our platforms are, what our political positions are, what we say. We have become a people who are known by the sum of our words, not by the sum of our character and our spirit. And so I wonder... As I look backwards on 2020 and I reflect on what God is teaching us in this season, could the Lord be using this pandemic to humble his church? Could the Lord be using this to prune away the dead branches of his church? Might we consider all the way that this year has revealed our hearts, our hopes, our fears and our worries, our inward motivations and defaults. And might the Lord give us, through His grace, eyes to see it and ears to hear it, to confess it and believe that He's greater than it. And so the message of the book of James is that faith that doesn't work, faith that doesn't reveal itself through action, through change, through redemption, through renewal, through action, isn't faith. It's just rhetoric. James will say in this book, you can't be just hearers of the word. You must be doers. To be a hearer and not a doer is an oxymoron. 
Genuine faith changes a person because a faith isn't a set of values. It's not an enlightened position. It's a relationship with the cosmic king of the universe who rules and reigns, who's never had a beginning and an end, who stepped on this earth to bring his people back to himself, who died on the cross to save us. It's a belief in somebody who's the only one that can fix me. And so this is what we're going to do. This is my challenge for us in the next 12 weeks. We're going to walk through the book of James. And we're inviting you to walk through it with us as well. And our hopes is that in the next 12 weeks, you would read the book of James. Every week, you would read the book of James. There are five chapters in James. You could read it in one day. You could read it in one week. You could read 20 verses a day. Our challenge is that we together would get back to the Word and that we would come to revere whom our God is and what he has done. And in the back, we've got little Bible studies that go along with the book of James that you can have. They cost us $5. You can take them. If you want to reimburse us, great. If not, we really don't care. There's something that happens when we get ourselves under the word of God. Something that happens when we confront the size of our God and the abundance of his grace and his mercy Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew that man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we invite you to join us on this journey to take time to humble ourselves in front of God and His Word, that He will speak to us, that He will be faithful to us, and that we're reminded in this season that it's never too late for grace. Like it's impossible to escape the love and the grace of our Father. And we may be in here and we may have run through the motions for years in our lives. But our Lord is faithful and graceful. And every day, His mercies are new. And so maybe this is a chance for a start, a renewal. Maybe this is a day that you, you say, I'm going I'm to start doing this. And know this, is that if you mess up, every day is a new day. Every day is new graces and mercy. Maybe this is a time to refocus on what is truly important, to get back on focusing a little bit more on becoming like Jesus and becoming a little less like myself. And I can't think but the brother of Jesus who once rejected him as an unbeliever, later revered him, became James the just, not just in his words, but in his action, that he might have some wisdom that we could desperately need in our lives. So let's do this together as a church and humble ourselves in front of God and revere him for his size and his abundance. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, come before you today and as hard as 2020 has been, Lord, our mouths praise you for it. Lord, you work for the good of all those who are calling according to your name. And so today, we don't know what it is, and we don't know what is going on, and we don't know why, but Lord, we know that you're doing it for our good. And so Lord, will you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that Lord, you would help us to confess our pride, that we would become humble, that Lord, that we would desire fresh starts, new seasons in our life, 
that maybe today that we refocus our life a little less around ourselves and a little bit more around you. And we pray this very humbly and gratefully through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.